Hey, how you guys doing out there? This is Brent, the co-organizer of the Current Issues Discussion Group and founder of the Exchanges Podcast, and welcome back. Let's see, what all I got to say? It is 9 o'clock on a Tuesday morning, August 29th, 2017. I'm up early and at it. Look at me, I need a trophy, right? No, actually, I'm kind of late on doing this. I mean, it was quite a bit of work to go ahead and put this podcast together. I had to go ahead and sit down and edit out all my ums, ands, ahs, and all that crap. I tell you, <laughs> if you've never recorded yourself and listened back to your own speech pattern in like a conversation, please do it because you will be surprised at how you sound, and all the junk you toss in on a conversation. Anyway, let's see. This podcast, episode two, is about, oh man, torture, quote-unquote enhanced interrogation by the U.S. military, And there is a second part, a longer part, where we talk about the incident that happened with white supremacists, neo-Nazis, the KKK, in Charlottesville, Virginia. So we go pretty deep and pretty far, and uh, I hope you guys take a walk with us on this. I mean, we cover everything from (laughs) uh, Mexican drug cartels to World War II, and um, we... um, go into the Confederate HBO series that is being developed by the creators of um, Game of Thrones or the producers of Game of Thrones. What else do we talk about? Man, we talk about so much stuff. We talk about, like, the efficacy of torture. We get existential. Um, We definitely go pretty deep into talking about everything that happened at uh, Charlottesville, Virginia, and um, you know the moral conundrum of having statues up representing um, history, but also an awful part of history. So we hope you go ahead and take a long walk with us on this podcast here. Everything's good in it, but I will go ahead and say the good stuff starts after probably the first 35 to 45 minutes after we go ahead and uh, kind of ease into the discussion and start syncing up with each other. Everybody has some awesome things to say um, on this one. So, yeah, let me go ahead and just get into it. See you guys on the tail end. Bye. Plus, I was thinking, I don't know, so, I mean, that's a current topic, and if people see it, then, you know, maybe they'll, you know, be more prompted to come out and give their opinions on probably something controversial, you know, definitely hearing this out. We're, we're going to talk about torture and stuff first, I think, and then we'll go ahead and get into the more recent events, because um, we already um, set that up, I've, uh, and plus I'm afraid that if we go ahead and start with the most pressing topic, <laughs> we're never going to get it. Yeah, ain't gonna happen. There, we're just going to go ahead and keep going and keep yeah. going and keep going. I want to at least get some ideas out on that. 
So um, everybody knows the deal here, so I don't need to go ahead and make any like weird introductions. Um, I'm pretty sure Alexandra caught you up on what we're doing here. No, it's a circumstance. Not really weird if she didn't. Hey, you want to come chill with me with a bunch of random people you don't know? Yeah, sort of like the dining hall at UGA, you know? <laughs> uh, so what, you just graduated? Right? Yes, sir. Right. Yeah, What's your degree in? I have degrees in uh, psychology and in Spanish. Spanish? Are you pretty fluent yeah. at this point? Yeah. I'm assuming you studied abroad, right? No, I haven't had the chance. Well, Didn't have the money. Is the well, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At UGA, it's an extremely popular program, yeah. so the price is a lot higher. And you got to get in like first and stuff, and then yeah. it caps off. And, and so I knew a lot of people would come back, and they clearly spent their entire time in Spain or Argentina or Costa Rica speaking English, you know, with people <laughs> from America. <laughs> yeah. They'd get back into classes and be an advanced level. Uh, Avery, can you? What's this word again? Wow. Okay. So what country would you want to go to? Uh, the well, what's, best, your, what's the first one on your list? Spain. Spain? Um, my uncle's from Costa Rica, so I could also go there. Mm-hmm. But the probability of me going there just for you know, family reasons is also pretty high. So okay. if I was going to ever relocate, it'd probably be to Spain. Spain. Although nice. there's really not a great country to go to. I mean, Argentina or Chile are most stable in South America. Yeah. Um, but even Argentina is still devaluing their currency on a you know six month basis. Mm-hmm. And uh, well, large swaths of Mexico have been completely torn apart by the drug war. I mean, the entire Northeast um, region is basically divvied up by the cartels. Right. And the newest cartel, Los Cetas, is extremely violent. They've taken the violence to a whole new level, and they'll take on anybody. You know, if you go to Mexico City, you could go to. Yeah, I uh, have an ex-girlfriend in Guadalajara, and she always says that I should go. Yeah, yeah, we just got back from there. Yeah, yeah. it was nice, Mexico City. Isn't Mexico City like what the second, or is it the first like the largest, largest city in the area, urban area in the yeah. world? Right. Yeah. So we were thinking it was bigger than New York City. And it's got some really nice areas. It really you know, does. Like every city, there's also nice green spaces. Spain, the, the economy has been rough over there for a very long time. What is their unemployment rate? It's like always, is it like been in like in the, the uh, 20s or something perpetually? percent yeah. And for people under 25, it's almost 60%. But Spain sort of operates under its own rules, and there's a sort of stereotype about Spanish people, mm-hmm. you know, surrounding the siesta and not being very productive, mm-hmm. and being up late and partying. And so the Spanish National Bank, which, you know, is in government because that's what National Bank is. Mm-hmm. They finance the operations of Real Madrid Football Club, which is, of course, the biggest soccer team in the world. And Real Madrid owes them somewhere in the neighborhood of 750 million euro. So if Real Madrid were to, for some reason, not make the UEFA Champions League, which is their biggest cash cow one year, their losses would be so large that they would default on a lot of that debt and could theoretically crash the Spanish National Bank. Whoa. Well. <laughs> yeah, so that, that's Spain. Well, uh, what do you do? <laughs> I'm thinking about uh, this story I heard a while ago where there was this uh, Hispanic female, uh, I don't know if she was a mayor, I think she was like a mayor, but it was on a city that was on the border of uh, the United States and Mexico. It was on the Mexican side. And she was trying to go ahead and fight for, like, you know, to end the corruption and the stranglehold that, um, you know, a Mexican Mexican cartel had on that small community. She was doing it in private. But as soon as she went to, like, 
kind of the international media and start telling her story about like what they were doing in her small community, it was like a month flat and she disappeared. They found her severed head like on the side of a road. And I mean, what do you do in the face of that type of pressure coming from organized entity? I mean, good question. And that's you know, and that's pretty extreme. But at the same time. I mean, the United States has been guilty of some extreme cases of um, torture in contemporary times here. Uh, I don't know if you guys heard about that um, case where the U.S. government, uh, I mean, I don't know, some deep operatives of some sort, picked up this college student who was a part of this protest in Afghanistan. He was like outside rallying and whatnot with these people, you know, against the government, against the United States occupation. And then... Um, these um, Afghani specialist forces came in, rounded up a bunch of people um, from that protest, put them in jail, and then allowed the United States government to go ahead and go through these people and try to like filter the ones that were with Al-Qaeda and the ones that weren't. Apparently, the, the process was kind of arbitrary to begin with. How do you know who's right. part of like a secret terrorist cell and not, you know, when you, when you just grab random people off the street? So this um, one guy gets picked up by the U.S. government, gets picked out of the crowd that the Afghani authorities arrested. And um, they took him to multiple black sites throughout Europe and tortured him, like, you know, engaged in some hardcore torture. Then, I mean, they're trying to get a confession from him. Even when he told them, like, look, you know, I'm whatever you want me to be at (laughs) this moment, they were like, "We, we still believe you have more. So then the United States government shipped him off to a Middle Eastern country I'm not sure which one it was. You guys have to go ahead and look it up. Shipped him off to that country's military forces where they openly did torture. They did the torture stuff that the United States government wouldn't get their hands dirty in. You know, we're talking about you know horrible stuff. Beatings, stripping of the skin, all that type of stuff. You know, electrocution. And this guy went through all of that. And they still didn't let him go. And after that, he was brought back into U.S. custody, and they shipped him off to Guantanamo Bay. And then he spent like two or three years there, you know, just locked up, his entire life gone. It was like after a five- or seven-year period or something like that, the U.S. government finally (laughs) took him from Guantanamo Bay, airlifted him to Canada, and just dropped him off. Here you go. Here you go. Uh, See you later. And um, disappeared. And so this guy went to the Canadian uh, embassy and authorities and whatnot, told his story, and I apparently got some corroboration with it. And then that's how it broke out to the news at the time. And just now, he's going through the process of trying to sue the United States government for, you know, his involuntary, you know, capture and, and, and the torture and whatnot he experienced. And he's told this tale to, you know, several different organizations and stuff out there. That's insane to think that, you know, the U.S. Gov- a government can do that to you. You know, with no, you know, there, there's no questions. There's no, like, um, there's no appeal process. They just literally grab you and do whatever they want, whether you've done something right or, you know, wrong. Then year, in years, we're talking about not like a week or, or two. We're not talking about like, you know, a good beating and a bottom of a, like a police station. We're talking about day after day, and uh, you don't even know if you're going to live. And then they go ahead and just drop you off and just walk away like it never happened. That's that's insane, you know. So 
I mean, I'll open with that. You know, <laughs> what do you guys Way think about uh, that. Um, you know U.S. torture and interrogation techniques? Now, Ed, I mean, you're a vet, so I mean, I'll open with you. What do you think? What do you think? I mean, moralistically here. You're in war, war situations. You're in combat. There's no such thing as abnormal war. So you do immoral things in combat. And you do whatever you have to do, you get information. And we are. Now, I'm not talking about civilian, I'm talking about in combat. I don't know about these other things. And I'm just saying, because that's what they do to us, you do today. That's the way it is. There's no moral thing. You can't think of a moral. It's immoral to be in combat, kill someone. So you're in that situation, you. If you have to torture someone, you torture someone. You get information. If you got eight prisoners in combat, and you get just one guy who just says, it's worth it. I hate to say it, but that's the way it is. But where do you draw the line, right? There is no, not in combat. There is no line. There is no line at all? I understand what you're saying. I mean, we're at war with killing people. It's easy to say what you're going to do when you're not in combat, where you don't see... Your friends getting heads blown off, or you're seeing a bullet tearing your a buddy next to you, the guts hanging out. Mm-hmm. You don't. It's a different situation, and you become an animal. You in combat, you become an animal, and the only thing you want is to survive. And you do anything possible if you get, you interrogate someone. If you don't get the right answers, torture is the next thing. Okay. But I'm not talking about, like, civilian, you know. Yeah, I was just about to go ahead and make that distinction. Yeah. yeah, but we are in war, even though it's not official. And so, we yeah. we are in combat. It's like we are in combat. Yeah, we are. So yeah. it's, you know... Um, Mistakes? If, I, if there's an ISIS guy, if I know he's ISIS, that's not a torture. So a bunch of, you know, brass show up, you know. I mean, we're talking about guys who are, you know, maybe in an office somewhere in, a, you know, Germany Air Force Base. Um, you know, get a call to go to Afghanistan because the Afghan government says, hey, we got some people who are probably al-Qaeda, ter- you know, terrorists you probably want to come ahead and grab. And uh, these are people who are, um, they're making intelligent decisions, intelligence decisions. Not necessarily there, like, with, with the pressure of combat. Like, you know, you know, we got a group of people who've been kidnapped by a very apparent enemy, and we need to get them now. These are intelligence people who are trying to unravel some, like, abstract, Large network, right, of uh, of uh, people. So yeah, so it's like you know, where, where does that line come in with that? I mean, should our government be able to just go ahead and round up people and like torture them for years and years based on some like you know kind of quasi war, you know, that, that is going on? And I think that answer would depend on if torture is effective or not. Like I was. I was coming here with the idea of, you know, I hate the idea of torture, of course it sounds horrible, but if it saves people and saves lives in all long run, it would be worth it. But, you know, in my little little brief research I did, you know, it's not like I'm an expert, but I, there's like CIA, um, former CIA members and FBI members who have come out to say, like, it doesn't work, it's not effective. The people doing the, the torture or the enhanced interrogation, they don't know if that person, they don't know what information they have. So they might not have information or they might have information. They could be lying or they could be making stuff up. A lot of the times things are made up. Mm-hmm. So we don't really know what if the information we're getting is even accurate. You know, like that guy that kept saying, oh, we think you have more, we think you have more. Why? They were just probably 
acting tough to get him to say more, but he might have not had anything. The craziest story I read, the Japanese forces, um, you know, kidnapped and, or not kidnapped, but took in this American soldier near the end of the war and tortured him to get information about the nuclear weapons and atomic bombs, and he didn't yeah. know. So he told them that the U.S. had 100 atomic bombs and we were going to do, like, Tokyo and some other city next. <laughs> Tell them some stories. So, yeah, he just went all out, huh? And so some like, historians think that yeah. might be a part of the reason why they decided to, like, surrender. Because oh. I don't know if he's telling the truth or not. He's desperate. He's going to say whatever he wants. Yeah, that, that comes, you know, to also the like the reliability of like right. information. Yeah. Right? You don't know. Is it effective? You know, yeah, exactly. And some say it's, it's not, not effective at all. Yeah, I wonder what the um, actual data is on it. Like how successful um, these? It's ethically torture. almost impossible to have scientific data on torture. The position of the APA yeah, right. is that it is not effective. <laughs> However, there's no way to scientifically challenge it because if you carried out an experiment like that, you would have to. You know, carry out a scientific method of torturing people. Right. You yeah. have to do it. I would like to see yeah. some statistics on just say maybe one war in one region in particular to hear like, I have this information we got from these people. This many tips le- led to victories or whatever. Like one of those bad daytime uh, TV commercials. Have you been tortured? <laughs> Come down to our office today. It was a control group, not yeah. torture. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yo. Right. You were just measure the information you got. How much of that was accurate? Yeah. From what I've seen from FBI and CIA sources, they suggest that positive um, options or positive reinforcement is the best way to get information out of somebody. Mm-hmm. Because the United States is basically unilateral power across the world, except over you know, very few countries. If you are a Russian in Russia, we probably can't get to you. If you seek asylum in China, we probably can't get to you. But if you're an Afghani who may be you know, ran a few green dot packs for Al-Qaeda or ISIS and <laughs> Taliban because they need to move money around. And this is something we know. We can say, all right, we have you, and we're not going to let you go. And we don't have to. Legally, we, we're not really required to, and even if we were, we have the power to deny that. So you can live here in the cell with, you know, a raggedy blanket and, you know, a cup of water and a crappy meal a day, or we can move you into a barrack. So what do you want to tell us? Mm-hmm. As right. opposed to, hey, help me out. By the way, I hope you enjoyed the last five hours of waterboarding. Yeah. Well, also understand, you know, that there's clever interrogation techniques. Yeah. You know, there there are techniques that work. Well, are you talking about enhanced interrogation or actual, like, asking questions? I Probably enhanced. Because enhanced interrogation, if you look at what that is, that's it's torture. That's it's, a ridiculous it's not, euphemism. It's not pulling off your fingernails. <laughs> it's they mess with it. It's, it's nasty. It's bad. I mean, waterboarding, good, bad, bad. waterboarding is, is enhanced interrogation. Yeah. Oh, is it? Oh. Yeah. I don't know. It's like, I mean, part of me is like, how, I, in my head I'm asking, what does it take to, like, break a person? Because um, I imagine that um, a lot of these um, at least radical, you know, fanatic terrorists and stuff out there have a have a mindset that's pretty um like fundamental to like you know I'm gonna go ahead and uh, serve for my religious cause until I die yeah and that's it and you know they're not afraid of, of like you know just death so a person like that how do you motivate them to you know exchange information with you how long does it take to like break a person down if they're like, willing to die and yeah. Like, it's good. <laughs> 
right? You know? Me I guess that's the experiment of Guantanamo yeah. Bay. Yeah, right? You know? I yeah. mean, come they, on. They would, you know, handcuff me. I'd be like, I'll tell you whatever. <laughs> right, yeah. Like. <laughs> well, in the classical understanding of Oriental and Occidental cultures, mm-hmm. you know, the Occidental is individualistic and the Oriental is communal. And so the idea would have to be you have to enforce to this board person that, no, you should abandon the communal mindset and think about yourself more as an individual the way we do, mm-hmm. which you have to decide... Do we do that by hurting them or do we do that by helping them? <coughs> what reminds them of their, you know, singular quality as a human more? Is it pain or is it possibility of pleasure? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's really good. That's really interesting. I mean, who, who, and another thing is, it's like, who are these people um, that is, like, coming up with these programs? Like, what type of person you have to be to Decide. work in that, um, you know, department in some military institution to come up with these methods of enhanced interrogation, you know, analyze torture instances in the past, right. and come well, up with like determine what's yeah. what's appropriate Probably and what's people not. Who, can't, who don't think about the gray and think completely that yes, it works, so they're doing a good thing. You know, they can't consider yeah. that maybe it's just. I guess you would have to have some overriding cause beyond. Um, yeah. You have to give your morality some uh, larger cause. That you believe is external to yourself and your own maybe personal well, you paradigm. Yeah. When it works tortures, it's mental torture, not be physical. Yeah. That's some of the worst. Psychological. Yeah. You break a person down psychologically. Well, that maybe wonder when you're talking about the communal cultures, like would you threaten to harm their families or their groups that they're trying yeah. to protect? Yeah. 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 That might be worse than be personal torture. Yeah. 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 Well, that's what the Russians do. That's what the North Koreans do. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Yeah, I've read something on that. That's, that's pretty critical. And yeah. Vietnam, didn't the, didn't the Vietnamese do that too? You know, you do this, we're going to get your family. And that happened to people we know. When we talk about people who design or devise torture methods, it's a very interdisciplinary, you know, uh, endeavor. Because you have to understand, you know, what you can do to someone physically that won't endanger their health, their health bad enough that you lose an intelligence asset but that will be effective. Mm. And with, you know, two disciplines like that, of psychology and of medicine, the price is going to go up. So when the price gets high, morality goes out the window. Mm. So if you're a good doctor and a good psychiatrist and you understand how the human mind and the human body work, if a government program says, hey, here's, you know, $500,000 for a week's work, you might be willing to say, well, I'll bet they're good guys. I'm willing to bet. It's in my interest to bet. Yeah, I'm going to help them. Uh, So you'll rationalize it away. You don't have to be a a terrible person or a moral absolutist. You just have to have your price reached. Well, there's still that guy. The uh, Nazis, the SS, they went home, packed those dogs. Yeah. Rocked the babies. Rocked the babies, and they went back and killed people. Loving husbands and fathers. They just disconnected with the reality of what happened in the camps. They went back home and kissed their wives and had their babies. And they were just nice citizens in their communities. Yeah, the human ability to like compartmentalize. They would never have done that stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we you know we see it today with some of um, the recent ins- instances of uh, what's going on in, in public society. The ability of like the human mind to like compartmentalize and like uh, you know justify just um, you know just, just obvious stuff in front of your face. And um, and, and another thing that I was thinking when you were talking was that um, what's your name again, Martha? 
Avery. Avery. Yeah, my brother's name. That's right. <laughs> Dang it. But, um, yeah, I know, I know. Uh, he bugs you a lot, doesn't he? <laughs> no, actually, he doesn't. He doesn't. He doesn't bug me a lot at all. He, uh, he's a computer guy, so I bother him probably more. <laughs> what I was going to say. Oh, I imagine that the person who goes out looks for this information as a, they're not tapping one organization or one person or entity for the information they need to go ahead and summarize what they need to do to go ahead and torture. So I imagine that, you know, they're talking with you know, psychologists from all the different types of discipline. The information is kind of dispersed. And then once all that stuff is collected, you know, I imagine that um, some type of process is written out uh, by a person who's really good at compartmentalizing what, you know, uh, what they're doing. Or maybe they don't even know what they're doing. Sometimes I wonder how much our government tells its employees of, like, the, the, the reasons behind the, the things that they're doing. They're just blindly doing it. Yeah, yeah. Maybe some abstract reason is given, or maybe some lie is told, you know. You know, we're trying to come up with ways to, we're trying to understand how other countries torture our soldiers. So, you know, we need you to do a thought experiment in order to uh, <laughs> get this done. You know, things like that. And um, I could definitely see that being done. Well, you know, the, the drones that are in, like, Afghanistan are run by somebody, some soldier in California. And he does the same thing. He'll sit there and bomb a wedding in Afghanistan, and then at 6 o'clock, he goes home to yeah. his house in Malibu and has dinner with his does family. Does it again on his Xbox. Yeah. 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 Oh, he's so right? disconnected from it's what about he's as doing. as difficult to do it on an Xbox as it is to do it with a predator, a real predator drone, <laughs> from what I've read. <laughs> you distance it so then it feels like it's not real. Right. Well, Roger Waters talked about this in his album, Used to Death. It's the bravery of being out of range. You know, when you're 3,000 miles away, things are always a lot easier. You know, moral decisions or, you know, holding someone else's life in your hands is no longer the case. It's, all right, well, my job is to press the red button that right. makes people die. That people and, tell me to do it. Yeah, and if intelligence didn't actually figure out that all 11 of these people were terrorists, that wasn't my part of the chain. My part of the chain is making sure the, you know, rocket flies through the window. Or the rocket yeah, and that its delivery vehicle can get in position. Yeah, it's <laughs> a lot more difficult. Yeah, during a during World War II in like uh, the trenches, um, that like I heard that on Christmas Day, the like people, uh, the the Germans and the English, like the ones who were closer to each other, were actually amicable with each other on Christmas Day. Like, I heard about yeah, that. Yeah, played soccer. It was actually yeah. World, War yeah. World War One. World War One. Yeah, yeah, World yeah. War yeah. One. Famously, but, but then, French, French and the uh, Russian. Yeah. But then, when they were farther away, they still shot at each other. Like, but then, I guess they just win some and lose some, by whether it pans out over. Yeah, if the information you're given turns out to be useful yeah. and turns out to be correct. Of course, it's, the only way to find out if it's correct is to act on it or to try to corroborate it with another detainee. And even then, they could have been given the same story to tell, so that you know they would. It's so hard to tell until you, I don't know, launch the attack and find out that you were lied to or you were fooled mm. or you were successful. Right. It's a exactly. horrible topic, by the way. <laughs> it's a hard topic. Blame yeah. Alexander. Oh, this is your topic? <laughs> yeah, it's a yeah. horrible yeah, topic. I always make it the worst one. <laughs> I kept seeing it in my like, little reminders, like, like torture. torture. Oh. And I'm just like, <laughs> a little every time. Uh, yeah. Especially 
where you're fighting now is not you're fight, not fighting armies anymore. You're fighting you know civilians, guerrillas. Yeah. And they're they, you know like, Vietnam was horrible, and like I'm sure people what's happening in Syria is horrible. I mean, you're you know kids be ten years old, and, uh, they could be having a a rocket or a bomb in their school bag, mm-hmm. and you have to kill them, or you have to capture them, whatever. Mm. It's not like the army was more too. Used to be, I was off limits, you know. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's not off limits. And what about like you? You meant somebody mentioned Nazi Germany when they had the Jews be the uh, the the what's the word supervising the Jews? Like they, you will. Yeah. So now you're doing it. You're saving. You're saving your skin by. Oh. That adds a, another whole component to it. I'm sure there's people had nightmares after that. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I'm sure they, they did. Yeah, and it, who's to say I might have done that? Survive. I might have done that. Yeah, that's. I what don't know what I would have right? done. It's no, a yeah, horrible subject. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least we've got Charlottesville to look forward to. Yes, yeah, there we go. Right, <laughs> what a that's, great, that's, that's a sunny, <laughs> lively, <laughs> and, and <laughs> sweet. Uh, that's, a, that's, that's definitely a sunny. Well, I was topic. thinking eight o'clock. It's almost eight o'clock. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, we got yeah, and, and here that. I was all depressed and sad over Charlottesville, but this takes that's the cake. Torture. I mean, yeah. I mean, things can be worse. You know, things can be worse. I mean, it's. I mean, torture just seems like it was an effective tool before, um, in it, before a given population was um, educated and uh, informed enough to like, and connected enough to be able to see its impact and hear about it, and understand what it what it is. Because um, you think back to um, you know World War II, for instance. I'm pretty sure there were some grimy torture scenes going on by the Allied and the Axis. But guess what? That stuff was capped off by the technology and um, the ability for it to spread. I mean, you may have had reports that were out there of like, hey, you know, um, they grabbed four Nazis and they tortured them last week. But that, that, that's what you heard. You didn't have, like, secret video of, like, you know, it actually happening and uh, people able to see what was going on, you know, actually the nitty gritty of it especially in democracies obviously in um, you know authoritarian governments it doesn't matter so much you know people just have no input but in uh, you know democratic nations when you know I mean, people have input into the government that is operating it's harder to get away with those those type of things May Live is a town of Vietnam South Vietnam and there is a, a group uh, a platoon of American soldiers that just got it, uh, got through a firefight, and they're going to, and they got information that this village, or they lie, has VC, and they they have to go in and look at it. And what they did, they uh, went in, rounded up women and children, put them in a ditch, and shot them in the village. Mm-hmm. And they were going to shoot more villages, more people, with an army. Helicopter saw what was happening. He dropped down in the middle of the fire. You know, they were going to shoot another group of people, and the helicopter went down. And he told these people, you know, the American soldier, "You're going to shoot them. You have to shoot me." Hmm. Yeah, he put he into said, it and tried to report it and was buried for 20 oh, years. Oh yeah, well yeah. And he wow. Was, actually, he was uh, yeah, dishonorable discharge mm-hmm. mm. wow. because he defied an order. 
And the two people who did the uh, Achilles, one, they live in Jordan. One's oh, called yeah. Calais, one's called Medina. And they're heroes here. Mm-hmm. And they wiped out like about a hundred women and children. Yeah, and everybody was like, go for it, yeah, you know, that's, that's how yeah, you show well, yeah, 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 but how many women and children blew them up? Well, the mentality was, with the firefight before that, they were in a really heavy firefight. Again, your mind does connect you, you start looking at them, not as people, but with Nam, we used to call them boots. Mm. Yeah, they're boots. Mm-hmm. Like they're not boots. humans. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. disassociate a person. They're not real, they're goops. You make up a, you know, yeah. in your mind, you're not shooting a, a person. You're shooting a goop. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, it's crazy, but that's... Yeah. It's, yeah. It's yeah. Italian. Not a mother, father, and sister, brother. Huh? Just And like any war situation, and you're actually the one there. Do you fighting, you have take, to, exactly, do you a person? Mm-hmm. Well, when the you Nazis called Jews rats. Yeah. 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 Rats? Dehumanize another person, you dehumanize yourself. You know, become exactly. less than a human because a human should not, you know, be able to do that. And you said in war, you become an animal. That's a really good do. point. You become an animal. Yeah, and, and those type of people are really interesting too because, um, like you said, you know, you, you you dehumanize yourself when you do that to another person. But those type of people, I think, have um, um, already came to a conclusion that they're willing to accept their own dehumanization. They become another cog in the war machine or the wheel in itself. Those type of people, I imagine, if you capture them, they don't care. I mean, you're going to kill me, torch me, do whatever. You know, I'm, I'm just an extension of a, of a larger kind of national ideology or platform out here. Yeah, what do you do when a person decides that they're no longer them? They are just an extension of an ideology. They also look at everything around them as an extension of opposite ideology in which they need to go ahead and destroy you know mm-hmm. what, what they do can't you survive out there without doing unless that. you do that that's true too mm-hmm. yeah you know you do you come to. back from that though not a lot of people come back from that mentality that's you know? the hard part yeah were they just run of the mill ordinary yeah, soldiers yeah. Or, yeah. or were they were they people that were you know, that stint, five standard deviations away from the norm no they were regular yeah. machines yeah. I think they were walks yeah, they were obeying the order. Their lieutenant told them, "Got shoot them." They're just the unlucky. And you shoot them. That had to be there at it's that a, place. You get an order. You know, soldiers are are accustomed to take an order. You got to not disobey an order. You know, so they give you an order spot. and say, "These are these are VC. They're not you know you're they were innocent people. They were being murdered." So you know, um, they put their lives on the line. I can see I can see how easy it would be to go ahead and um, fall down that slippery slope because I think about my own personal experience and um, twice when I was in Columbus Georgia and I was going to a college down there they had um, a protest against the School of Americas and uh, granted it wasn't really like super violent or anything at that point but when you're in a group of people who are all like waving towards like one specific cause it's easy to go ahead and just get, get sure. caught up in the wave you know you're before you know it you're there just mad with them you know you, you begin to feed off of um, that group you know the group think mentality that's out there a second time when um occupy wall street was going on and stuff um i went down to atlanta 
to go ahead and see what was happening when they were doing the sit-ins at the park down there and everything. It got super dark and tense when the police showed up really, really quick. People were talking really, really loose. I mean, like, go ahead and I'll snap this cop's neck, da-da-da-da-da-da, you know. And um, I could see, you could see people just trying, like, yeah, that's right. That's what we'll go ahead and do. And I could see it all it taking is, like, one or two people to engage that. And before you know it, you have the crowd just falling in line, not even thinking about it. Not even thinking about it. Great segue to Charlottesville. Yes. I mean, I was telling them on the way, oh, I tend to be on the naive side. Yeah. And I've been upset about the Charlottesville thing. And, but right before I came here, I watched a Vice documentary, about 15 minutes of footage and all this stuff. I had no idea that it was that bad. That that it was that bad. Like you said earlier, they didn't have technology and this and that, so they didn't see how bad it was. But I was so disturbed by the extent of, I mean... I don't know. I guess I thought it was candy-coated racism, you know, or, you know, veiled yeah. racism. These people they were had just, try boards out. We're like, you know, come learn about white supremacy. I don't, I don't know. Are you I, I just... <laughs> you you yeah. an potential career path for you. Yeah, there you go. Like, you know, the guy in a nice suit. Yeah, it was um, pretty intense. Um, yeah, and I can see, like, you know, when we were talking the other day about... Uh, both sides. Mm-hmm. I was like, I told my husband, I said, you know what? I could go as a, you know, so there's their rally. I could be a protester to that rally, a peaceful protester. But I could see, oh my God, in five minutes, I could be screaming and yelling, just like you said. Yeah. Sucked into it and like. Ah. No, no, do we know what? You know, I, I don't know. I, I just know some very superficial mm-hmm. information, but do we know who did instigate the violence? Was it? it was the neo-Nazis. The original counter-protesters that started the first night of the rally were students from the university. And they were summer students. They weren't, you know, the, the, the full university population. Uh, were there. Well, the first night. The first night, it was just people from the dorms who were coming out and saying, well, I don't really want Nazis outside my window. And I don't want you, you know, saying your racist stuff outside my window. And they were attacked immediately that night, and there were very, very few of them. They weren't an actual threat to the white supremacists. So after that point, the left responded. You know, they came back with more numbers to say, okay, well, you're going to beat up a couple of people. Hope you feel strong. So you're saying that the, the anti-fascists and, 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 and Black Antifa, Lives Matter were, didn't know what was happening? Antifa they didn't show up until the next day? To basically draw the venom of fascists in our society. Um, in other societies where fascism is more open, they exist to do some very different things. But the idea is that a lot of the white supremacists, the separatists, the confederate groups out there, they are already ready to be violent. And hey, violence for, is their thing, but yeah, you don't have to answer they're violence gonna be, violence. Well, they're going to be answered with nonviolent protesters who they're likely to attack. And this is something that they did in Charlottesville. They had nonviolent small group of students, and they went and attacked them. So Antifa says, we want to draw that. We want to draw that venom to us so that they leave other people alone and try and dissuade them from saying, all right, well, if you guys are going to show up and attack these guys, we're going to attack you. And granted, answering force with force isn't always the best strategy, but there's a moral equivalency made between you know, white supremacist separatist groups and Antifa, and it, it's really, it's it's not the same. Antifa never, ever starts the violence. They're just ready for it to happen. 
Yeah. So let's go back and finish um, talking yeah. about exactly what happened. So um, you were saying that the the night before the actual like you know major incidents happened with the car crash and everything, it was university students um, looking to go ahead and be like, hey, we don't need you guys around our place. The white supremacists and all of them were like, we don't care. You know, we're yeah. here anyway. Then that's when. Um, the college students decided to go ahead and build up an anti-protest, you know, a counter-protest, and, um, you know, march against them. And so, yeah, the first night, there wasn't, like, too much violence or any, like, activity like that. Um, The police were there. There were some. But um, it didn't escalate beyond, like, you know, some pushing, shoving, punching here and there. So, whatever, you had people all over the United States. So, you had left-wing anarchists, you had left-wing crazies, you had left-wing crazies. Yeah, so then, but after the the seed ideologies were there, the next day is when there was more people who actually showed up and um, engaged in it. And, of course, you just had, you know, spectators, but you had more people who, you know, who probably just saw white supremacists and were like, no. You know, we're not doing this. They didn't, um, you know, consult with any of, like, the original maybe counter-protesters that yeah. were there. Well, the they majority of up. any counter-protest is going to be just, you know, normal, rational people who exactly. are saying, yeah. this is messed up and we don't like this. So what was the name of the guy called that killed that lady? James, James DeForest? James Fields. James Fields. Fields. Towards the, the end of the day, James Fields, who was there for the rally, I mean, um, they went ahead and dug up this guy's past. He, I um, mean, you know, I was, I mean, deep into the all right, huge Donald Trump supporter. You know, said glorious things about um, Adolf Hitler and all type of stuff. He was there for that protest. Towards the end of the day, decided that um, he was going to. This is all we know right now, is that uh, he was going to get into his car and uh, drive down the street towards some protesters. And then, as you saw in the footage, um, you know, ran his car into the car that was in front of him and. Um, Ended up killing somebody and doing that. Then after that, that's when the counter-protest mob went crazy. That's when he started chasing down his car. Things just got dramatic and wild from there. Did he get away? Um, he drove away. He drove away for a moment. Yeah, yeah, he didn't get away. They eventually got him. He allowed himself to be arrested, uh, arrested peacefully. Now, what's hilarious about this is that when he gets to the police station, um, a reporter from The Hill um, comes up there. And the reporter from the Hill says that the cops told her that this wasn't, you know, intentional. The poor man was scared for his oh, life because the counter protesters were like, you know, banging on his I car and all. That. I was like, and so you so go back and look at the footage. No, son. There was nobody around his vehicle yeah, when I he heard decided to accelerate. The nationalists say that. Yeah, he had every right when the the counter protesters, whatever, were banging against his car. That they weren't giving him way. He had every right to step on the gas and <laughs> uh, murder somebody. I'm like, wow. Yeah. Has he never yeah. been to a sporting event? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. You know, if a crowd of people walks in front of a car, they honk, everybody starts banging on the car. Yeah. Plus, there was an intersection. And nobody right gets killed, dude. Right. <laughs> you don't get on the gas. Brent, what you said, isn't that the standard line every cop says whenever they shoot somebody? Right. What's that? Right. They feared for their life. They feared for their life. They were scared. I thought about that too, man. I was like, that's that same, you know, like getaway in line. That's that, uh, you know, that's that car. The thing is, legally, hitting someone with a car on purpose for any reason is assault with a deadly weapon. Yeah. A car is a deadly weapon. So if you are going to claim self-defense, you have to be able to claim that there was a deadly weapon ready to be brought to bear against you. Mm -hmm. So if someone is pointing a gun at you, you are enabled legally to hit them with your car. But not banging on your car. But a hand is not a deadly weapon. 
unless you are on the ground, mm -hmm. and even then, it's only assault with a deadly weapon usually if someone's kicking you. Yeah. So if they were going to pull him out of his car, but that wasn't what happened, you know, so... But the narrative from the alt-right has been for the last several months when, you know, protests have gotten more and more um, prevalent and have started to take over highways more as practice, that if you're late to work and those protests are in front of you, you just run them over. And there are some states that have taken steps sure. to try and enable that. And that narrative is extremely dangerous, and it has enabled the mentality that, oh, if they're in front of my car, I can hit the gas. Yeah. Also, Sex more importantly, um, the, you yeah. know, these white supremacist groups, KKK and um, these neo-Nazis, for a long time, we're talking about decades, on <clears throat> online have been talking about using a strategy, and they've been right. using it forever, of going out to certain public places to look be attacked so they can create a narrative of uh, being victimized. Exactly. And the second part of that is that these are groups that are calling openly for an inevitable race war. These are people who are looking to go ahead and cause violence. These are people who are, they're there for that reason, you know, which is a completely different context from the reasons why a counter-protest or leftist group or anti-fuck group is on the scene. They're not there for the same reasons. And, and uh, you know, because it gets a media coverage. Yeah. And people can't, don't understand like, you see these protests, they have a like, KKK or something like that, they have a right. That's freedom of speech. You know, I hate to say it, but is it? freedom of speech. Is it, though? Well, it, it, and this guy I, I was listening they to... They have a right to say what they want to say. They do it for it's recruitment. As a Let me finish. Yeah, the best thing to do is not show up. That's, that have no what would happen if nobody showed up? That's what they up. want. No they want an audience. They want yeah. confrontation. So when they have confrontation, the news is on it. You get it seven days, they love it. So the idea is you do psychological, you do it adverse, you do it, no one shows up. You know, Let them speak, turn out the crowd. I mean, what would they Nelson Mandela do, do? What would Gandhi do? What would exactly. Martin Luther King have done? Yeah, they wouldn't go there with bats and weapons exactly. looking for a confrontation. See, they would either ignore it or they'd go there and sit just to show their presence. But they would not look for any confrontation from those assholes. Because all you're, you're right. doing is giving yeah, them that, a voice. Not but everybody who's good enough is free. Yeah, I'm not Gandhi. Yeah. Nobody See, can learn from that. Wait, that, that, that. That's the big thing there. The big assumption is, is when you say uh, people should just go ahead and stay home is that you're, one, assuming that like all everybody in the world outside of um, the white supremacists are acting as like one coordinated block. Yeah, that there aren't people who are just going to yeah, walk right, by. Right. There aren't people who don't, are not paying attention to what's going on in public society. That there's not people who can't be influenced by their speech in public spaces. That there's not these factors out there that cause a real danger by them being in a public space um, talking that type of ideology. You know, there has to come a point where at the very minimum, there needs to be some type of legal ramifications for this stuff being in the public space. There has to be a limit. There has to be a boundary. There is a limit. You can't. You, 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 there's a limit to free speech. Well, isn't that a problem? And if they cross yeah. that speech? line, yes, hate speech. Right. It has yeah. to incentivize violence. But guess what, though? The problem is, is that our political representatives are not holding those people accountable to that limit. 
they're backing off and being like, oh, well, look at both sides. You know? Oh, let, let, you know, I mean, who knows? I mean, the ACLU, which is a left wing organization. But that's not our government. I know, but what I'm saying, they're a left wing. Mm -hmm. They support that type of speech. They support that. They support them. They got a permit. Yeah. The, the people got they, they did everything legal. The government gave them the permit to, to do that uh, space, which maybe they should not. I don't agree but with they it. Did. I don't agree with but it they, at all. Then, you know, when I first that, moved that, down here, uh-huh. Lawrenceville would have like Ku Klux Klan oh, sure. yeah. rallies, yeah. and nobody and nobody would show up. Ago. Yeah. And it would just look like a couple of wackos in their white robes, and then they would go home. But guess exactly. what, though? But this is, but no, but this, you know why nobody showed up? It's because a big reason is that we did not have politicians in office that time at the level we do now that um, condone and um, soft support um, certain aspects of that ideology. We had leaders who would actively go out there and say that no. We do not support this at all. But now we have um, people in office across this country that say nothing against it. Um, They actually um, co-opt some of the same policies that these white supremacists and neo-Nazis like. And and we have some of them actually in office. We, um, you know, actually... Uh, trying to enforce the law, like that sheriff, uh, Sharpio, whatever his name is. Not saying that he's a he's not a white supremacist, but he's definitely a person who is um, discriminatory and is a bigot. Um, so, you know, we have today this class of, of politicians who don't set a hard line and actually engage in stoking and um, elevating a platform that a white supremacist and neo-Nazi or KK member would have. So... When you have that in office, you can't just sit around. When well, you have a Donald Trump going like, well, look at both sides. By not you know? condemning it, you're kind of supporting it. Like you yeah. said, a soft support. You have, yeah. It's making it be very vague. It's okay. And so, like, the right, all right, they celebrated Trump's first response because they were sure. like, yeah, they yeah, thought, that, that is awesome. Yeah. Where was our president when that was happening? You know, where was our president when, you know... Where he always is playing golf. <laughs> yeah. What the police department of Virginia should have done is disarm the white supremacists, which they didn't do. So you have white supremacists, like, you know, Harry, you know, M14s, M16s, or, you know, weapons already on their, you know, on hand. They should have disarmed those people. Yeah. And then be, I think be a little bit less confrontational. I don't know. Well, Definitely. You can't yeah, you know, aren't they entitled to be yeah. armed? Yeah, they're legally carrying. Yes, if the gas was all loaded up with guns. You have to because the police would have said you should not be armed. Yeah. But that's a whole other... Right. If they're legally holding, you can't take it away. Yeah. I mean, there are certain circumstances where you can say, okay, you can't carry a weapon in this public sphere at this time for this reason. Um, you are enabled to carry a weapon on public property in most states and, you know, provided it's a legal weapon, you obtain it legally. How will you be telling this to the alt-right? Yeah, right. How will you Well, nothing really goes well talking yeah. to them, unfortunately. <laughs> that would be like the worst group to yeah. that but kind of means they don't even know what It's a slow descent, really, for our society into... When we permit this, it becomes normal. 
and then the next step becomes normal, and the next step becomes normal. I was going to say, all these little things that are so little, it's making this viewpoint, like, a normalized view of something. And that's why there has to be a public counter-narrative. There has to be a response. And when we talk about Gandhi and Martin Luther King, they're great men, and they achieved what they set out to achieve, but they were fighting against their own governments. They were fighting against the people who were in control of their state. So to answer in any way remotely violent or threatening to your government is going to get you shot. That's how governments work, unfortunately. But when you have private citizens saying these things and you're a private citizen, you sort of have more leeway to respond because the effect of starting a violent conflict with your government is gigantic. And Martin Luther King and Gandhi knew that if they did that or even remotely allowed it, the result would likely be civil war. Mm -hmm. In India, you know, a country of hundreds of millions of people, and in America, a country of hundreds of millions of people. But if you are, you know, like Antifa, saying, okay, there's going to be a counter-narrative to this. There's going to be people coming out to say, no, we disagree. And we know that the white supremacists are going to hit first. And once they do, things are going to go bad. So we should have a block of people prepared. That's their stance. However, it can be argued, I think, that that heightens the likelihood of violence because now the narrative on the right is we have to show up in even bigger numbers because there are leftists coming and they're ready to fight. So as much as you know, the intentions of you know, black bloc leftist groups are, to, like I said, to draw that venom, it can also heighten the, the violence nature of it and what I would also point out and this is something we were discussing just a second ago is I said if Black Lives Matter showed up with M14s there would have been SWAT teams (laughs) it would have been game up before it even started the baggy wagons would have been out there the tear gas would have been out there the right loves to whine about double standards but the right can walk around with assault rifles but the left you know there's a False narrative yeah. that sure. the left is not armed. The left is well armed, especially in the black bloc. But the reason they don't show up with the same stuff that you know the white supremacists show up with and that the all right shows up with, with is because they force. know they're going to get mm-hmm. met with more force. Mm-hmm. And they know they're going to be scapegoated. This is still wow. the country of the red scares. Yeah, that's some really good. That's some really good points there. So you know, I mean, there has to be. Uh, I think there has to be some type of legal limit to um, this type of, um, you know, rhetoric that is out there. Um, I don't think that rhetoric that, I don't think that ideologies that advocate the oppression and, you know, and the suppression and violence towards other people should be just be considered as um, random, just free speech. Free speech. I don't think, you can't go around saying, uh, you can't go around saying that um, I'm going to go ahead and assassinate the president. You can't do that around in public or in private. Oh, you for could that for the last matter. eight years. Oh, well, yeah, yeah, for the last eight years you yeah. could. <laughs> but um, but but technically though, yeah. But technically though, um, you cannot do that. You know, there will be secret service at your door saying like, "What are you talking about?" You know. So um, I don't understand why it should be um, an open case for um, extreme radical racists to be able to go ahead put out their ideologies that have been proven through a world war, you know, that, uh, that, that is not yeah. good for society. Hey, we did a war yeah. over this, people. Yes. The world was involved. 
twice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, you know, I, I think that there has to be a limit somewhere. And uh, it, it saddens me that um, I hear from some people that I know, you know, my, from my friends and stuff saying that, well, you got to look at both sides, man. Really? It's like, you know, there's the, the context is nowhere near the same. There's, it's just nowhere near the same at all. All these people are doing is looking at the results. You know, they're looking at, well, I see violence here, I see violence here. That is the exact same thing to me. But um, uh, for one, that's besides the point, you right. know. I mean, and, and two, we need to be focusing on the intention and the historical context of some of these groups. And um, a lot of people are just flat out uninformed about Black Lives Matter. I mean, it's amazing to me that there's a lot of people trying to lump them in with, like, neo-Nazis. The, the, well, there's the, a few the, of them who are crazy, like, yeah. in any group, but that doesn't mean the whole movement is... No, yeah. Know. I mean, you I go mean, to Black Lives Matter's website, and you look at their platform, it's all about going ahead to ending systemic and institutionalized type of uh, racism and discrimination against black people. Um, you go to the Stormfront, you know, there's a completely different message there, <laughs> talking about we're here to go ahead and save the white race and, um, you know, create a white, uh, you know, hegemony, or I can't even pronounce that right. But, uh, yeah. You know, and we believe that um, an epic race war is coming, you know, and we're preparing for it. You know, those are two, they're not even in the same ballpark. But yet, you know, there's a lot of people, especially on the right, you know, hard conservatives who are running around, you know, toting that line. You know, like, you know, Black Lives Matters is out there. You know, nobody talks about that. And it's like, they're not even the same thing. Not even close to being the same They're coming thing. to make sure they're you know, wives and children don't get shot by police. Yeah, right. right. Oh, they're coming it for you. It kind of makes me think of, you know, when we're talking about, well, it's like when we mentioned the, the opposite side, it's like Martin Luther King and Gandhi. Like, those are some very exemplary people. There's a big difference between not being a Nazi and, like, <laughs> Gandhi. Yeah. So, it's like Martin Luther King was preaching this nonviolence and, you know, the peaceable protest and all these things. And then after a while, because that didn't work immediately, people got angry. And so the Black Panthers came out and they were violent because they were just like, I'm sick of tired you know, of all this stuff yeah. happening to us. Because it, where I was, or I respected Malcolm X where I did it when King. Mm. I thought Malcolm X had a better message than King did, mm. to be honest with you. Yeah. Malcolm X was... Is he the fa- not the founder of the Black Panthers? No, he was more no, of that. No, he, he was, was always of Islam. He was, he was one of those, you know, like, the more popular anti- spokesmen on the nation of Islam. Yeah. He was? Uh, well, he broke yeah. away. Well, he broke away with people. his, uh... Gandhi didn't like away. black people? No, he didn't, yeah. Yeah, he didn't like white people I didn't know that. Yeah, he was, uh, See, you know, I mean, there's all types of things these people, you know, have going on. But the, the thing is, is that people forget that Martin Luther King still did get shot. He still, violence happened to him, and he died. So they're back to back to Violence happened to him and he died. You know, I mean, these aren't, I mean. I think it's a good segue because people often forget that Martin Luther King died for garbage man. That's why he was in Memphis, was to negotiate a collective bargaining agreement between the city and its garbage man. And, you know, we're talking about possible restrictions of the First Amendment, which is always an extremely sticky subject and something that, in my personal view, shouldn't be touched. But I think the problem doesn't start with our freedoms to say awful, awful things. I think it starts with society's probability to create people who say awful, awful things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that starts with the kind of society that we have, which is profoundly unequal. Mm-hmm. And when people who, you know, 40 years ago, when things were a little bit more equal, are saying, oh, okay, you know, everybody's getting rights now. We have the Civil Rights Amendment, or the Civil Rights Act, I should say, I should say. 
But um, and since that point, we've gotten more and more unequal. And it's easy to draw an equivalency there where none actually exists. You know, that, that's not the cause of people in West Virginia not having it as well as they did in you know the '60s. Mm-hmm. But when people are lacking money, they're lacking jobs, they're lacking something that they need, they look for a savior. And sometimes it's religious, and a lot of the, you know, far groups on either side are religious. <laughs> what did you say? Is it what happened in torture? Oh no, no, yeah, yeah. we're we're gone. We we've already left uh, torture land. We're in, we're we're into um, part two. <laughs> yeah, part two here. Mm-hmm. But civil unrest is always spurned by an unequal society. Yeah. Right. And so, if we start with okay, we're not going to have so much wealth concentrated at the top. People aren't going to be looking for, well, why is my life bad? Who can I blame? And the easiest person to blame is someone who doesn't look like I, you. Yeah. I could have I disagreed with that. I think there will always be racism. There will always be sure. something that people won't like. <laughs> well, we're talking about color, you're right. So you said there we're more unequal than we were 40 years ago? Has, Sorry. Has nothing, it's just the way it is. It's human nature. Someone would be jealous of you, or, or you know, you're, you know, you're black. Well, we're talking about a bell curve here. Red or your color. <clears throat> we're you're talking Jew, about you're a Christian. You're something. You know, always the other. Be a racist thing. Yeah. You know, you're not but there's a curve here. We're talking about keeping it on the you know, minimal end. We're not. We're talking about you know keeping the average or the that majority have, of people away people from those tendencies. Guns now. When you have so many guns on the street, yeah, it's, 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 it's a, if you didn't have the guns thing, it's so. There's so many guns on the street. You, you know, and we're also talking about making the but making the acceptable. We're talking about making the acceptable public opinion be like this is not how a society should be functioned. Not to go ahead and convince everybody out yeah. there their personal ideology is wrong. That's the distinction. Is that you know there's a bunch of people out there who have horrible beliefs, sure. but um they do not act on it and they don't bring it into public space because they understand that hey that's not a public thing. That um, you know, that 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 that's not a public thing for my personal beliefs, I agree. and that's what we need to have is that that ad, ad, adherence to um, that space, that that public but, ideology. Yeah, but not everybody's that rational. Yeah, and that's true. But we don't need everybody. Yeah, Those people who are always going to exist see people exactly. looking for someone to blame or someone to save exactly. them. They have a lot more power than they would otherwise, mm-hmm. and a lot of the mechanisms of a more equal society. Are educational, and with a more educated populace, you wind up with a lot fewer races, yeah. which is it's a really great thing. But it's it's like uh, James Carville said many many years ago: "It's the economy, stupid." Mm-hmm. When people have money and they have jobs, and we have you know well functioning society, they're not looking for reasons to hate each other as much. Our problem is that we have a we have a fundamental with two. Um, competing fundamental ideologies about you know our economy. Um, we have people who have a very Darwinistic view of the world, who operating heights of power, who believe that there's never going to be any type of equality. That um, you know might makes right, and that um, you know scarcity is is just a is a law of nature almost. And uh, then we have you know the opposite side of that, which is the flip of everything I just went ahead and said. And it seems like right now the people who are in power are those type of people who believe in that very uh, doggy dog, Darwin type of world, who um, see the world as like um, opposites of competition, of um, you got your team and they have their team, Except they don't and you believe fight. In evolution. 
Yeah, except they don't believe in evolution. <laughs> exactly. You but know, the philosophy of might makes right has been around for a long time, but it's the philosophy of imperialism. It's not the philosophy of democracy. Mm. Yeah. It's like, oh, my father was king, so I'm king. So, yeah. So yeah. I'm your ruler, and I'm better than you. Like, are we still yeah. yeah. We, Evidently, I'm, if I wasn't great, I wouldn't be king. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's like we replaced those terms with, like, um, rich people and businessmen, right? It's like, instead of, like, you know... Hard. Yeah, I've worked hard. You know, I have a, I pulled myself up on my bootstraps or, you know... Um, look at all the businesses I own, you know, which means that um, I, sh- I should be a steward of the, of the economy. I should have more say than you. You know, look how big my bank account is. It's like, this is another way to, um, you know, announce your, like, kind of a, a title as lord in yeah, um, some aspect of society. You get more votes. So, yeah. Avery, you said we're more unequal now than we were 40 years ago. Oh, yeah. Yes. I, I, didn't, I, I did not think what? that. I must be more naive <laughs> than I even discrepancy In terms of income, of yes, we're a lot more We're a lot more unequal. It's like the it's point okay, of the Bernie of the I'm not talking about monetarily. I'm no, talking about what, you know no, talking diversity. Monetary. No, we're talking monetary. We're yeah. talking strictly monetarily. Okay, no, no, no. because right. diversely yeah. rights have been we're, extended. We're to better, more right? In that, okay. In that period, yes. Okay. You I don't mean scared a, me there yeah, for a not, second. An unequal <laughs> civil footing, an unequal economic footing. Okay. And that's where you get the unhappy right people, the, the, and I'm, you get the And so I want to talk about here now. It's like, what do you guys think that? What was the political calculation in the White House on this issue, oh, or what okay. happened. I would, I would I what do you guys want to know what they? It had to be Bannon. Speculate. And who knows what he was thinking? And Sebastian Gorka, Definitely. who yeah. is a Hungarian Nazi. Yeah. So <laughs> exactly. But and that other guy, what's his name? Young guy. Isn't it possible that, that, that Trump just had like, Williams? I think the second statement, they were like, "You have to read this." Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I felt like it was a gun to his head. <laughs> say it. Say I think it. the first <laughs> one. The first one, he just kind of. Yeah, yeah. Oh, definitely. did you hear him today yeah, defending yeah. that? Yeah. Well, I didn't have all the facts. Case. I never yeah. speak without all the facts. Right? Like, I was like, you, you, who are you kidding? His second speech was yeah. good. I have to say that. Yeah, was but it wasn't good. him. Yeah, yeah, somebody wrote it for him. Yeah, that was bullshit. Wow, you on track. Good boy. Good boy. Oh, man. Did you guys feel it? See the I forget what it's called. It's a big Catholic charity dinner where the um, presidential candidates are supposed to you know rat yeah, each other well, jokes. Yeah, he did two minutes of very urbane, witty material and then started ad libbing, and you yeah. can tell <laughs> <laughs> for two minutes. I thought maybe this uh, will be so bad. Maybe if he wins, it'll be all right. Yeah. And then Hillary's so corrupt, she kidnaps Haitians for pizza games. Thanks, Don. Yeah. It's like he can't go off script, supporter, man. He's not wavering. He yeah. still has that face. He has that strong. Because they face. won't change their mindset. But this, it's but the, amazing. True. Yeah, but, but at the same very, time, it's a minority. Might, it's a minority. Exactly. That's the thing. Though. It's Is still it? a minority. Yes, yeah, it's, it's like thirty percent of like maybe the population at the right. most. But we're not who, like are about civilization that. anymore of one person, one vote. Um, there's a there's a document leaked, I forget by who, many years ago, back in 2012, by some, I think it was capital managers who said in the interest of creating a plutocracy, the first thing that we should eliminate is the ideal that one person should have one vote, that one person should be equal to another in their same government. And unfortunately, due to the Electoral College, that's not the case. Now, if you voted for Trump, your vote counted more than mine. Mm-hmm. If you live in Montana, your vote yeah. Like in certain districts of certain states. Right. That is true. That is true. Um, the gerrymandering and, um, oh, and um, you know, the 
is really affecting, I think, um, the you know proportionate outcome of. Well, have you seen the oh, maps of like? Thing, right? I saw a map of like I don't know elections in the last hundred years, and it used to be ever changing, just yeah. depending on which candidate people like. But it's like in the red. last no, twenty years. Yeah, now it's, it's like <laughs> they can predict which it counties are going to go red. It was in yeah. two thousand ten. Like, it wasn't always like that. It was in two thousand ten when we had the technology with all the data. And the, the RNC got this guy came to the RNC that was like his computer with, and he knew how to read all the data of every voter in every house, oh. in every district, and they redrew the lines where like the Republicans will never lose. Really? Those districts. Insane. Those well, yeah. what's more shocking is the cultural uh, shift that we've experienced in the last 40 years. As more people move to the cities, the cities become more and more blue, and everything else becomes more red. Right. The Electoral College exists to protect the influence of those who live outside, you know, well-populated areas, which is sort of counterintuitive it's because people balanced. live in well-populated areas because they're better places to live. Yeah. And it robs the people who move from those areas to the cities of their agency as individuals. Mm-hmm. Because you're saying if you move in your own economic interest, in your own personal interest, in the interest of your education or what have you, you forfeit some of your power in this society to decide what happens in wow. well, what is ultimately your government. That goes back from like the old days where they're like, you know, when they were founding the country and like, we don't want this to get handed over so only the elites are in power. We want like the workers to also have power. So they were kind of right. trying to keep the everyday man to have stuff, which is now, it's, it doesn't, it doesn't, different. yeah. And it's not right. equal anymore. But it's people about, in those right. poorly populated areas perceive themselves as, yes, I am the every man. I mm-hmm. am the, the paragon of what it's supposed to be and to be American. And they still should have a vote, but, but it's not more. That culture vote, not has more. been reinforced in the right, by, you know, the right wing in order to try and perpetuate the system because it inherently favors them. Well, yeah. Isn't a lot of it uh, just baked into the Constitution that Two senators per state, so so the, the small states have, have a power yeah. of the big states. So, I mean, some of it is just baked into the constitution. We changed the constitution in that regard more than once before. For example, we added the direct election of senators, which previously they were appointed by the governors in you know the original draft. And Republicans, is, the Republicans, representatives, is supposed to balance that out because they're proportional to. Not yeah. exactly, well, but well, more that was the purpose. Yeah. <laughs> Original purpose. Well, I, you know, I, I, I mean, it, it's unimaginable to me. I mean, I guess I can imagine it, but that we have, um, you know, a Supreme Court justice that was just elected in who was like an originalist, a constitutionalist like that. It's like, you know, we need a person who understands that um, things perpetually change. You know, we shouldn't be... Um, Constantly referencing our documentation. I mean, I'm sorry, our um, country back to um, a document that was based upon fundamental principles of what was happening 200 years ago. Well, Thomas Jefferson, who wrote it, said that it should be rewritten every generation. There we go. Twenty years. But no, we got people who are like, no, we we need this to stay exactly the way it is. It's insane. It is insane. It's insane. You know, it makes no sense to me. Uh, one of our founding principles, which is often forgotten by uh, originalists, is that we are set up to form constantly a more perfect union. Mm-hmm. You know, I hear people on the left always who love to tell me that, you know, the United States is the worst country in the world. Oh, yeah. And the United States is one of the best countries in oh, the world, yeah. if not the best, for the rights that we afford to people. Well, how about black people couldn't vote and we had slavery? Well, we chose to get rid of that. 
almost every other slave country didn't choose. There was a slave uprising, and they said, mm-hmm. okay, let's not die. No more slavery. Great point. Or better is that women's right to vote. Yep. Yeah. It, it, it changed their life. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you're right. I mean, speaking of that, let's go ahead and switch gears to uh, really quickly on, like, the left and um, this increasing fascination with, like, uh, Putin, this uh, new um, slick brand of, like, authoritarianism that's that's um, represented by um, his government, one that is um, very polished in front of the cameras, looks great, you know, optically, but is still the same horrible stuff from, um, I think, uh, past generations. Um, I, I know several people now who um, they, they devour Russian Times News, RT. They love the idea of, um, of, of Putin being some, like, I don't know, um, like unicorn fantasy really? moderate leader. This is and it's true. Well, this the is on the is, left. Yeah. The, the thing well, is... I don't think it's like a, yeah, like a really hardcore anarchist or leftist. There's more it's not, of them. Not, not, yeah, it's a movement, but it's not. It's very, it's very strictly extreme left, you might say. Yeah, I, was, I don't I'm know. I'm very surprised yeah. to hear about this because I've never encountered something like this. Most of the hardcore leftists left, I know despise Putin they because they know Russia. what exists in Russia and what the Russians, you know, the Russian people admit exists mm-hmm. is it's an oligarchy. Right, but and you can, you can't. I, I've reporters and, and, and people in, in Russia will tell you that you cannot find a Russian who's not better off now than before. Didn't have shoes before. Wow. You know, things were so bad. I Everybody is disagree. better off now. Back in 2012, there was a vote to return to communism, which was suspiciously narrowly won by Putin, because, of course, if you fix an election, you don't fix it like a typical dictator as, you know, a 95% victory. But... Based on um, investigations after the fact, it was suggested that as much as 45% of Russia, which, you know, their population is, is relatively old, is favoring a return to communism. They think they were better off. Um, of course, this is anecdotal evidence. At this point, when I talk about my, uh, my old friend, I have a friend whose family's from Russia, and his parents, and he and his siblings were all born in Russia. And his parents say, yeah, everybody had jobs under communism. We all knew what we were going to do. Instead of the rampant, you know, unemployment, that's you know a huge problem in Russia now. Hmm. Um, but it's it's interesting that we talk about the left favoring Putin because the left, as I know it, you know, despises yeah, Trump know. and despises Putin mm-hmm. by association. Mm-hmm. But the same man who handpicked Putin for the Russian premiership the first time he ran, Roman Abramovich, who was a contemporary of Boris Berezovsky, who also you know propped up that campaign, and then when he ran afoul of Putin, was assassinated or died under mysterious circumstances. Yeah. Um, he got, his company got the steel contract for the um, pipeline, the, um, remind me of the pipeline. Keystone pipeline? Keystone, there we go. It was given to the steel contract, which, you know, U.S. Steel is one of our, you know, or one of our proudest industries was given to Roman Abramovich's company. Roman Abramovich, who just bought three properties from Trump at grossly inflated prices and who has dinner with him periodically, their wives are like buddies. They text and poke each other on Facebook. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> poke each other on Facebook. They're still using poke. That's really? Old school People they are. still poke? Yeah. But well, no, they you know, do. The, 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 all right. 
the kind of left of what I'm talking about is that, um, you know, I've, I've seen a bunch of them, is that um, it's this group of anti-imperialists left who look at the United States as um, the fundamentally uh, evil power in the world that is causing a lot of conflict around the globe. And, um, be, well, and, to be um, honest with you, I mean, we, we made a lot of terrible strategic decisions. A lot of conflict decisions. was because True. of, you know, the True. CIA yeah. interfered so, with other governments. So the, so the, um, <laughs> yeah. I have, uh, well, my, go ahead. Yeah, so, this is your deal. Um, well, I'm, I'm trying to figure out what I'm trying to say, too. But, uh, okay, so in taking that ideology into consideration, these people believe that Putin is a victim of uh, U.S. Um, imperialism. Really? And Yeah. And um, he is just trying to pretty much protect his nation the best way he can. If that, if the result of that is some, um, you know, uh, some immorality, journalists uh, journalist getting killed here and there, well, it's really all because it's all from the genesis of um, U.S. imperialism um, going around the globe us building missiles at their border and um, us putting sanctions on their economy. It's a, it's the, that's, that's the argument that I've seen um, on course, certain aspects of uh, seizing the Crimea, which has huge oil interests, had nothing to do with those sanctions right? or anything. I agree you know? with you. Yeah, And, and this, is, this is something that, again, I go back, some people but, might consider this conspiracy this theory, but most of it's they, immediately provable. Russia, you know? And you just before, you just passed the yeah, World War Two. It's more Russians were killed than any other, you know, any population. They're paranoid of foreign invasion. They're, they're just paranoid. So when you start putting missile bases in Turkey, around your subordinate uh, borders, they're paranoid. They're going to think that. And leftist people probably get that ideology. Well, yeah. They actually understand why, you know, they... The American imperialism, because they're setting up all these bases, and the Russian people are already paranoid people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they are. I mean, yeah, you know, because they, they were, were Russians were killed in World War II. I have some. I have, some, I have several relatives in Russia. People, they feel like Americans don't really understand their experience exactly. in World War II. Because yeah. forget they, it may have been either twenty million or sixty million. Four Russians killed. It's, 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 it's almost it's almost impossible to find a family in Russia that wasn't. It didn't have didn't have you know, multiple people exactly. killed. Anymore. It's almost yeah. impossible. Sure. So I mean, so I they. Think it's a thirty six fifty million Russians were killed. It's not yeah. There's more Russians killed than the total yeah. World War Two. So what's Russia. your family's like? I guess perspective uh, starting from there. Then, like, uh, I mean, what do you think they think the United Americans don't understand? Um, I mean, they they think that the Russian people I know think that you know I think they 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 think that America got into World War II at the very end, didn't really sacrifice, didn't really mm-hmm. suffer much. I know Russian people that you know, well, some of the ones I know they they all like Trump. Mm-hmm. You know that that's they like him, they mm-hmm. dislike him. But I think it's you know the the, the societies are very are very different. I mean, look what we did in Cuba. When Russia put uh, missiles in Cuba, we are going to go deeper than we wanted to. And this yeah. is uh, Cuba. And we Cuba. massacred Cuba's Get back and so, you know, Here we're putting missiles in Turkey, right next door, in Poland, next door. Yeah. We, you got all this missiles surrounding Russia. Yeah. You know? 
what do you think? Yeah, these type of people are kind of like moral that. absolutists. They, they, they kind of believe that since uh, the United States has done bad things, that they are now, they, they have now the inability to be able to criticize or act uh, morally um, against any other entity out there. It's like, you know, since you're not perfect, you, you can't say anything about anybody else. So it's like you got to be perfect. You got to be absolutely the paradigm of you got to be the representative of, of good if you're ever going to criticize anybody else mm. out there in the world. That just makes no sense to me. You can't argue from that position in my eyes. Yeah, uh, Jesus said that he who was without sin cast the first stone. But from a more utilitarian yeah. perspective, we do need to have you know vital discourse, and no one is without sin. So. Maybe that doesn't really hold true. Mm, no. I'm not the favorite of Black either. I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm an Israeli. I yeah, lived in Israel, so the, the left is totally against Israel. I mean, when Israel is a belligerent. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, I have a lot of issues with the left about Israel. But I understand some of their concerns about the left here. This incident that happened over, um, you know, this past weekend here where, you know, alt-right or neo-nazi or whatever you want to call them a piece of shit if you ask me all of them yeah like that's that insane. was what's unusual yeah. had all the, they uh, all came together they all came together like uh, the Sioux and the Comanche with a custom <laughs> they all gathered around. it was the first time it they had be poetic if there were just a bunch of Zika mosquitoes released. Those guys were never going to have kids anyway, right? Basically. Yeah. But, uh, agreed, you man. See one group and then, or maybe two, but and what's sad about this is that we still got like, what, three more years? We still got nearly just three begun. damn more years of like but it's the, the Confederate enduring Trump's political strategy. So it, it, it's actually the Confederate symbols. That's what the discussion should be. The what? The Confederate symbols. Why oh, are yeah. they? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's I mean, a good question too. Is I mean, that um, you know, I mean, there's people who argue, well, it's history. It's, it's history. Sure, it is history, but at the same time, um, you know, there's also the history of when these items were erected and put exactly. up, right? Right. It's you hate, know, it's hate history. Exactly. Yeah, it's hate history. Yeah. You know, it people didn't put those there. up there for some type right. of benevolent, informative. Germany, how Germany does yeah. with the Nazis. Exactly. Yeah. 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 around the city, like this is where we took these people away. This yeah. is where we. Killed yeah, people. Like, you right. can explain the history without um, idolizing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Just like how I feel, like yeah. Hitler in a Capitol building, Statue of Hitler. Yeah, right. Imagine that. So I can understand. Robert E. Lee is not as bad as Hitler, but, you know, Robert E. Lee was a great military strategist. He served the United States for a number of years, but then he fought against us and very nearly, you know, split the country in half. You know, Erwin Rommel was a great commander, too. He was a great servant of his country. He's respected, but there are not a lot of statues of Rommel in Munich. And that's why they gotta go. You know, they could still be in history. But you yeah. don't have to try to explain to your kid why yeah. it is. In the, the book, not in the square. Yeah. Right. And we, that, in this, yeah. we started talking on the way over here in the car, though. Like, where would you draw the line on, like, bad history, good history? Or, like, what's what's okay? Because there's a lot in the past that wasn't really good. But it was, like, more, more normal? Like, I don't know. Hmm. Our, our example was, like, Thomas Jefferson was kind of a horrible person. Trump like, said that in his little meeting. Did like, he really? Yeah. 
He brought up the whole concept of like, hey, Jefferson had slave owners. So, um, you know, so did George Washington. You're going to take down their statues too? You're going to take them off Mount Rushmore? That's what we were that was Trump's about. argument. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. I mean, no, but yeah, because it's like they wrote our constitution and stuff, right, but they also see. were terrible people. So, so do we take do we down there? Well, without the principles that they enacted, there would never have been a non-slave United States of America. There would never been a United States of America where you know people have, so or at least should have, if the government's operating correctly, you know, equal civil rights to one another. So that's why their statues remain. Right. So the line is whether they contributed something good. Well, their well, efforts were an insurrection against their own country. Yeah, they knew right, and, right. and, and that's what this guy British. said. Yeah. They weren't the fighting against us. That was an insurrection against the United States. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, that's where you they knew that was going to happen, and they chose to ignore it. Yeah, because they couldn't handle all that at once. When they wrote the Constitution and all men are created equal and stuff, they the topic of slavery was there, but they couldn't. They, and they knew it was going to come to a head and have to be solved. But I they mean, chose yeah. to ignore it at that time. These are people. Well, some of them had slaves themselves. It's not like they well, were all. Too. But these were also people who believed that right. if you didn't own land, you really weren't like an item to yeah, be considered. You were just like a servant of the state. You know. I mean, exactly. These were people who were, um, you know, classist and um, racist and. Um, definitely circumstances of their time. Now you fast forward to um, the Civil War area, you have um, an evolution of like, you know, national um, ideology and thought. And you have a moment where you're able to go ahead and choose between the two. You have some of the greatest leaders, you know, opting to choose to side with um, fundamentally, you know, abhorrent things. So I kind of think that's, you know, kind of where the line is at. I'll play devil's advocate for a moment. Mm -hmm. um, Robert E. Lee's stated intention when he joined the Confederacy was to protect Virginia. And where does, of course, defending slavery is, is never really a morally defensible position. Mm -hmm. However, defending your home is. And the Union did invade the Confederacy. So is, is, can it be said that some of these, especially generals and especially military men, who would have. The first shot before something. They did. So they attacked the door for the, the way I understood it. It was yeah. the opposite. They tried to seize the fort, but then once, you know, full-scale invasion oh, isn't yeah. coming, you know, where there's no real moral absolutism of, okay, well, I'm not maybe a fan of slavery, but if I'm in North Carolina and Sherman's coming through, oh, sure. you know, you know what side you're going to be on. Sure. But in the modern context, for so many people, those statues and that you know, celebration of that part of history is uh, basically an act of hatred. Yeah. Well, and especially, so, especially now with the, I think, Georgia celebrates Confederate Day. Yeah. In April. And so when, what happens, you know, are they going to take away, I mean, is someone, is someone going to raise that issue with Confederate Day? You know, I mean, I, I think that these, <laughs> yeah, these monuments and statues, we, as a society, we need to come up with another way to go ahead and respect those individuals who still some importance in our society. There's not only one way to do this. There's yeah. not, um, you know, you don't have to keep um, statues that were erected during a time period of, you know, um, heightened racial tensions in order to go ahead and you know, celebrate them as a historical figure. Some of them, right? I think that's exactly right, because when you put somebody in the square like that, your celebration of that part of your right. history directly conflicts with another person's ability just, you know, to live their life normally in society. 
because when celebration of one thing is com is completed with hatred of another, then you can't really celebrate one thing fairly because you know that the effect on right. a large portion of the population listen, is going to be deleterious, listen, and that's not okay. It's not the mayor acceptable. of New Orleans when they took down their you, stuff. Do you think if it wasn't for that incident with that white supremacist shooting the uh, black people in that church, you think that's what ignited this outcry? No. Because the way I understand it, that's what ignited the, you know, after that kid uh, killed this uh, black folk yeah. in Charlottesville, that's what ignited all this I other think it stuff. Reignited. It's always it, yeah, it, but it, every time it, something like that happens, it yeah, but gets it's more of a like that was the catapult this and taking statues down, taking yeah. the flags down. I think down. the movement to do those things was already slowly yeah. moving, but as you know, people became more irritated by obvious acts of, of, of hatred of black yeah. folks. They said, "All right, we know this is enough. This cultural influence must be eliminated because we see the effect right, that it right. has." And so it, it sped that up, and, you know, that's something I'd be in favor of. Probably. But, you know, we also have to talk about this conflict between the alt-right and oh, what sure. is really the mainstream of society, even though it's not being painted that way. Sure. That's that's what it is. Sure. And they were looking for a fight over something anyway. Mm -hmm. I always wonder if you take down, and I'm, I'm for taking it all down, putting it all away, getting rid of it, but what would you do with Stone Mountain? Mm. Yeah, I would... I will Go ahead and uh, blow it off. Blow uh, it off. Sand it, you know, just sand it down. Sandblast it. Sandblast it. Sandblast it. That'd be a really interesting thing. And I'm going to stop the laser show with, uh, yeah. with Dixie. You could, <laughs> if you didn't want to take it down, you could commission another Crazy. sculpture of there Union generals opposing the Confederate generals and say, all right, it was a war. Two sides were showing both sides. Yeah. And that would be sort of... I don't want it. It's not that I don't yeah, want well, to take I, it down. I, it just I, seems like extreme. But... That, that's one possible solution if that was, you know, it's a discussion. That hasn't come up yet. As long yeah, as it's not Sherman, sure it's a different plan. And it's also a KKK center. It was owned by a yeah. Klan member. I mean, well, that's where the Klan used to hold their duties. Exactly, because the owner, original owner of the property was a Klan. Yeah. Really? Of Stone yeah. Mountain? Oh, and supposedly when he oh, gave yeah. it, they, was, uh, they were allowed to hold their meetings annually there sure. forever. Forever, yeah. Hmm. But, I, you know, I think that's a good idea, actually. I think we should, com you know, memorialize... Both. For say George McClellan or uh, you know U.S. Grant or maybe even Abraham Lincoln, you know opposite U.S. Grant. Yeah. Anyone? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> Bernalini. Well, I mean, Tecumseh uh, Sherman. Sherman was, Sherman, but yeah. still, Grant was really tired. <laughs> yeah, chain smoker too. I mean, a, a lot of these problems that we have today, I think, are, 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 are really. The, <laughs> That's a whole yeah. other yeah. kettle of fish. Let's discuss our relationship with the Indians. All right, let's get to Iran. Oh All gosh. right. But it, the, the mayor wasn't that the mayor of New Orleans. The speech they took when they took their things down was amazing. Yeah, oh, I saw that speech. Oh, yes. that good. I, I very concise. Very well said. I didn't get to hear the whole story, and I only heard the blip on NPR. But apparently, Kasim Reed is thinking about or considering yeah. trying to get the Confederate. Street names out of it. Like well, there's a street in mm -hmm. Confederate, well, Confederate Street. Yeah, there's yeah. a Confederate street down there. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, Grant's Park. Step by Grant's Park. Well, yeah. Actually, oh, someone, it was actually on my birthday trip. He was from, like, Washington, and he could not believe that people are still flying Confederate flags down here. He was like, wait, what? Like, yeah. <laughs> well, when we moved from New York, we didn't believe they even talk about it. Like, right? Yeah. yeah. They don't talk. It's not a topic up there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a big topic down here. I mean, I've. I remember when I moved down here from New Jersey, I mean, me and my family, 
And, um, <laughs> you know, being down here after a while, you hear about people saving Confederate notes and stuff. You're like, what are you, like, really? Really? Like, that's a it's thing like down here, man. It's like, well, saving Confederate here, notes. We'd be coming down here and see the plan marching around. Oh, we were shocked. The Capitol, Atlanta Capitol, what, three years ago, two years ago? We were newlyweds, and we came to visit my brother and his family who had moved here. And we were driving through Lawrenceville, and and like they had the clan, they had the the, the white, at the whole shebang, and you know, was when video cameras were this big, right? Uh, I was like, wow, and he's like, put that down. Uh, <laughs> I'm Jewish. Yeah, that's on the phone, man. By the Capitol, it was. Uh, yeah, in Columbus, I was stoned. I didn't even know they existed anymore. And that was like in. No, check it out. When I was. Uh, <laughs> I was living in Columbus, Georgia. No, you didn't know they existed oh, then. Existed. Really? When I was living in Columbus, Georgia, I was sitting outside of a, a cafe, a Fountain City Coffee. Some of my friends who still live down there, yeah, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm about to say. Uh, so we were all sitting outside, and we were just uh, shooting the shit and talking. And this guy comes by, and he talks to one of my friends. She was like, he's like, here, let me go ahead and give you this. And he, he gives her, like, a rolled-up newspaper. And he goes around, and he gives everybody at the table rolled-up newspaper except me and this other guy who's Asian. And then he goes, and he just continues walking. What? And then uh, he unrolled it, and it was, um, like, some, you know, daily caller for a white supremacist group. And it was amazing to sit there and read, too. You know, it was, like, an interesting document. These are people who are taking stories from H.P. Lovecraft and using it as, like, Jesus. science um, for uh, why, like, you know, black people and other type of, um, you know, people are lower humanoids and stuff like that. You know, literally, just fantasy authors and stuff. But that stuff is still around down here, man. It's, it's, the Ku Klux crossword? I had to see that. I had to see that in there. Yeah. They all start with K, right? All the answers. There's a lot of K in it. Right. I joined the Army in the station at Jackson. Toward a white only bunch of that. This is '62, and uh, mm-hmm. then when I went to Fort Bragg, which is North Carolina, they also had the, the segregation. You know, the Daffodil blacks over the they're black, they're mm. black, and white. And the commander of post said, "Yeah, you, know, you go to shut this down, or those soldiers going to go to Fayetteville." Ah, um, wow! Just, even '65, Washington D.C. I saw that, like going to. Train stations, black, you know, restrooms, white restrooms. Yeah. Waiting area, black waiting room, white oldies. This is 65. Did you ever see anything like that? No, but people that we knew, 64, like, that would go, everybody would drive from New York to Florida for a vacation. They saw it down. And they would come back and tell us the, the water fountains, the bathrooms. Yeah. The yeah it's like going to a different country. Yeah, yeah. 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 I'm telling you, I was shocked. Yeah. When yeah. I moved to Georgia. But it is racist in New York, but it wasn't so late. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty yeah, yeah. Yeah, I went to the 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 Yeah, 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 I don't know, like, you know, reenactments doesn't really bother me that much, you know, because um, they are reenacting somebody losing, you know, <laughs> losing, so it's not like they're rewriting history and, like, you know. I um, thought those are more just, like, 
Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that doesn't really, really bother me too much. Waiting the South will rise again sign. That's, that's yeah. I mean, to be honest, there's some people I think on the opposite side of the spectrum. Um, I'm part of um, a few organizations, a few like social media groups and whatnot that um, deal with like race issues and stuff. And there's some uh, people who are um, equally extreme on that side. So the creators of uh, Game of Thrones is coming out with this new series called um, Confederate, and it's supposed to be well, no, no, it's supposed to be um, an alternative future where where the South won. won. No, the South won, but um, it's supposed to be like on the brink of another civil war going on. Really? Yeah, yeah. They're going ahead and um, creating this new, you know, alternative uh, future, you know, um, series, and it's supposed to explore what people would do in those times, um, you know, on either side of the equation. Yeah. And um, there are several people I know who are, you know, uh, black people I know. They're like, this should never be created at all. Oh, I've this seen should that. not oh, really? even be a thing right that should be even really? thought of in society yeah. because, um, you know, it portrays. Um, um, an alternative history that is blatantly racist and it's being created with white people who are directing it. Ooh. And it's like, no, I can't say that. I can't say that even as a black man. It's like there, there's, there's one thing in like um, celebrating obvious like, you know, racist stuff and another thing and um, exploring an alternative history um, and doing it in a way that is um, open and contemplative and intellectual. Right, we really need to see it. Yeah, like they did on um, Man in the High Castle. I don't know if you guys saw that series. Yeah, it's a really good series. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, um, you know, should should we not explore anything? The thing I is, mean, the Man in the High Castle comes from Philip K. Dick's work back in the seventies. Mm-hmm. So you're saying, okay, this is and this comes from interpretation, a yeah, of literature that is from a different era, yeah. and had different connotations. Confederate is completely proprietary. Benioff and Weiss wrote it themselves, and they're doing their own separate thing. Well, and they're still basing it off of the original um, series by Harry Turtledove, who wrote uh, the, the, almost the exact same thing. It's on um, an alternative history timeline of if the South won the Civil War, and then there's a whole s- series of books leading up to World War II, and then how like Hitler helped the oh southern gosh, states, really? and um, how you know the world wow. was fractured and everything was different. Really popular so um, series of alternative history books that came out in the um, late '80s, early '90s. Yeah. Um, but it's based off of those works. Um, but they created their own story. But the genesis of the idea came from there. You I know, mean, it's blatant. I, I wouldn't oppose them making it. Yeah. I probably wouldn't watch it though, and I can't think of many people who really would, except for to say, "All right, these are the Game of Thrones guys, so I'll bet it's going to be good." <laughs> but if the premise really doesn't work, then the market will take care of that. You know, let them make it, and if it fails, then good, they can make Dunkin' sure. Egg. I mean, it's some, and I say that they should stuff to me Game of Thrones, as in like a dystopian. Yeah. World kind of thing. Not like a, oh yeah, cool, let's see what we're Yeah, exactly. That's what it is. It's just its own whole yeah. yeah, story. Not, it's not created in yeah, the like, light of like, let's go ahead and celebrate this. Yeah, exactly. That's what it's going to be. Like what you said, yeah. like Hitler sided with the South. Yeah. You know yeah. why? Of course, you know, to yeah. you know, prevent the Allies, you know, no, and whatnot. And, and of course, you know, Jewish, the ideology yeah, they would have been like, yeah. like yeah. how could we help? The really interesting yeah, about... That's, 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 yeah. It's not only against blacks, it's also against Jews, man. I mean, the white yeah. supremacists hate Jews just as much as the blacks. They do. Yeah. They do. Oh, yeah. I saw that they were yeah. chanting it on oh, yeah. Saturday. Yeah. Jews off out of our streets. Yeah. 
There's um, a really interesting thing about that series is that they this, this that. hypothetical thing of um, the author Harry Turtledove who wrote it did a lot. I mean, he's like a historian and he did a lot of research and stuff. But um, he did this conjecture that um, if that happened during that time period around uh, World War One, uh, you know, African Americans would have been recruited by um, a lot of the uh, communist sects that were um, yeah. you know being. You know, yeah. growing oh, yeah. during that time Bolshevik. here in a social section of Bolsheviks, and um, would probably would have you know tried to you know, would have broke sure. up the state anyway. You know, uh, being you know miniature uh, resistance fighting organizations. Yeah. So, yeah, but yeah, we're go. um we hit the timeline. You know, we're at nine oh six. That's when we right. stop. It's nine o'clock. So, um, thank you guys for coming out again. May go ahead and make depending upon what happens in the news. I may make this next one also kind of a double feature, quote unquote. Oh boy! So um, you know, we'll talk about a couple topics there too, because um, the you know transgender thing. Granted, I think it's a good topic, but um, you know, news happens so fast now. Who knows what's going to happen next? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Never stay on one. Yeah, yeah. That's probably what we'll go ahead and do. But um, I didn't get to say earlier, but that's a lovely shirt. I used to eat in the grid all the time. Uh, we oh, yeah. love the grid. Goodbye, guys. Adios. See you later. All right. There we go. And that's it, folks. I hope that you enjoyed that podcast as much as we enjoyed actually sitting down and having that conversation. It was really good. We definitely went ahead and went the distance and got everybody's unique perspective on um, those two topic items, torture and the events that happened in Charlottesville, Virginia. And that's what this podcast is for. That's what our meetup is group is for, is bringing people together from different corners of the universe and talking about real issues, um, bringing their own unique perspectives. I definitely want to go ahead and thank Michael, Alexandra, Avery, Ed, Savannah, Matt, Helen for coming out and sitting down with me and having an amazing conversation. And of course, thanks Hoon, once again, our um, fearless leader of the Current Issues Discussion Group for um, providing the space for us to sit down and have these awesome conversations. And we'll definitely be doing another one. Actually, our next topic is going to be, what is our next topic? I believe it's, yeah, it's going to be social identities in the 21st century. And we'll be talking about the media and the presidency because uh, there's been some epic battles going on with that. I'm pretty sure we're also getting to some of the stuff that's going on um, with climate change, considering right now Hurricane Harvey is wreaking havoc on the Gulf Coast near Texas and uh, Houston and some of the other cities around there. So I'm pretty sure we'll go ahead and discuss that too. Well, I think that's all I got to go ahead and say. I guess I'll see you guys next time. Adios.